Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, Reach listeners. This is your host, Jessica Van, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group. And I have the wonderful pleasure of welcoming back a familiar favorite. Uh, those of you who have listened to season two, episode 12, will recognize her voice. Uh, it's none other than Julia Quijano. Welcome back, Julia. Hi there. Hi. So Julia joined us for um, season two, episode 12, where we talked about becoming a chief of staff. And um, not only that, but you guys also, if you um, have purchased our e-course, have gotten an earful of Julia's voice and her incredible insights and recommendations. She's also um, my collaborator and um, an incredible partner on Um, the e-course that we launched and is also the facilitator and the subject matter expert for the uh, group coaching and individualized coaching um, programs that we're now offering. So I'm definitely familiar with her voice and so excited to have her back for this really special episode um, where we're going to be discussing specifically the great resignation, but how it could potentially be affecting and impacting the executive um, that you're supporting. So quick refresher on Julia, for those who aren't familiar, um, she was once in your shoes as an executive assistant at Salesforce, where she supported the chief revenue officer and the chief customer officer before deciding to pursue a master's degree in counseling psychology. After grad school, she joined an early stage venture capital firm to invest in digital health before ultimately serving three years as chief of staff at ERA Technology. Following her work at ERA as chief of staff, she launched her own executive development firm to work with startup leaders across industries. And so she has tons of experience in terms of either supporting as an EA or chief of staff, or on the flip side of of really coaching and helping to elevate and up-level the executive. So lots of lots of great um, content and experience to draw on here. We're excited to have Julia join us in discussing how she's seeing this movement specifically affect executives and leaders of companies, because we often forget that at the end of the day, they are employees too, and they are vulnerable to a lot of the same feelings and frustrations and burnout um, that the rest of us are. So Hoping that you'll be better equipped to relate to your executives and, you know, potentially adjust the kind of support or style of support that you're offering um, after listening to today's very special episode. So thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and um, and realize that it's been just about a year since our last podcast. So I'm, I'm wow. really excited to dive into this topic. You know, I, I think the last pod- podcast um, we caught me right as I was making that transition from chief of staff to executive coach. So, you know, with a year under my belt now, I'm wow. really excited to just um, share a lot of what I've seen and learned as I've been working closely with 
so many leaders and executives who are just trying to figure it out. Yeah, who isn't? Mm-hmm. But that's that's remarkable. So in, I didn't actually thank you for reminding me of that because I thought it had been more time. It's it's only been a year. That's that's incredible. I mean, bye bye. Right? You you've launched your your consulting practice and really gotten it airlifted and and had uh, a ton of great clients and exposure and opportunities there. And in parallel, we you know we refined our course and and created that and got that off the ground. So this is really. Quite, quite the year in, in, um, in reflection. Mm-hmm. So what kind of prompted us to um, get together again and, and to record this episode today um, was a conversation that you and I had. And you talked about the fact that you had shared uh, a New York Times article titled Executives Are Quitting to Spend Time with Family. This was something that you posted on LinkedIn and, you know, kind of casually, right, just put it out there. And your post essentially went viral. It received 95,000 views on LinkedIn. And your take on that was that, you know, you're not surprised to see so many executives leaving or surprised to see that there was such an interest in the subject matter. Can you elaborate more on on kind of the tip of the iceberg here? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and let me first start really by saying, I'm not a poster. So, you know, social media, I have a very, very casual relationship with it in terms of, you know, sometimes very rarely I'll post something if I find it really interesting, but I'm, I'm really never trying to drive any kind of traction. And, um, and especially on LinkedIn, I just so very rarely post that when this, when I, when I kept watching this post, climbing, 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 climb in terms of views and shares and comments by, you know, I don't know, 95,000 people. So, (laughs) so to see it just reach such a large audience, I was so floored and, you know, really had to sit back and think, you know, why did this get so much traction so quickly? And really kind of the only the only conclusion I can come to is just that it resonates so deeply with so many people. To your question around why is this executive level resignation not surprising to me? Um, partly it's because something that I've just been hearing through kind of themes in my conversations with executives um, on the coaching side, but Also in this article, there was a quote that really stuck out to me. And the quote was, you only have one life. And I think right now, especially, uh, we are really in this, you know, existential question around what matters in life. What's the point of working so hard if it means that you perhaps don't get to prioritize other things in your life. And, you know, I think in in the article that I shared, it wasn't just that executives are quitting, it's that executives are quitting to spend time with family. There's kind of this realization that a lot of their responsibilities at work, and whether that is, you know, the amount of time they're spending at work, the travel and amount of days they're spending away from kind of their lives is really eating away at the things that matter most to them. And now there really is this, this, uh, you know, 
realization and movement around reprioritizing not just work, but really in the context of of executives' lives as a whole. Hundred percent agree. Um, I mean, it's 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 a question of you know how do you want to show up, right? And to your point, if you're an executive that has been on planes, trains, automobiles for half the month, you know the version of you that's showing up to your family is the depleted one. It's the exhausted one. It's the jet lagged one. It's the irritable and irascible one. It's the stressed out one. It's not the one that has necessarily the bandwidth to sit down and, and color and, and, you know, read books and toss balls and go to the park. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, I think this is just a really important moment and a really important shift that is, that is taking place. Um, in your opinion, I mean, what is what is the cause of this movement and what factors are at play in terms of, you know, evaluating whether this is going to be an ongoing trend? Mm-hmm. I think it's a I think it's a really important question, actually, because so far from what I've seen, we've really paired this 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 movement of the great Res- resignation with the pandemic. And I think, you know, absolutely the pandemic has played a really significant role in fueling the movement, but I don't know that I 100% believe that the pandemic is the root cause of this moment. And I say that because as startups, public organizations, teams, executives, we have been operating at such an unreal pace for way too long. We have set up work in a way that really to to execute at that hyper growth, high performing level really requires humans to be superhuman. And, you know, it's been so embedded in our culture that, you know, in Silicon Valley, we even call it a startup pace, right? That that so mm-hmm. many companies have adopted. And I have I grew up in that pace at, at Salesforce. I came from that pace in a startup. And and I can say firsthand how little room there is for anything else when you're running that quickly. So I think that, you know, a lot of of what has what what has kind of been this brewing root cause of this great res- resignation not just employee wide but also executives is this pace and the promise of you know kind of sacrificing your life and hopping on this pace to get to an exit or an IPO or cashing out as soon as possible but really kind of forgetting what it's costing us to run at that pace. And, you know, from a from a leadership lens, this is where I've really started talking a lot about executive wellness. And, you know, at the executive level um, and at the leadership level, and, and when I say that, I, I really include managers as well because they're suffering. You take on so much responsibility and 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 because of that responsibility, you wear, you know, the company initiatives, these teams on your shoulders. And 
you really don't have time for. I think, you know, some of the things that we mentioned, playing ball with your kids or even prioritizing your own health and rest and, you know, getting enough water in during the day instead of, you know, reaching for a quick coffee or really investing in the quality relationships in your life that really nourish you, your passions, right? I think that there's so much that take in our lives that take a back seat when we're forced and and when it's normalized to run at this pace. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of kind of echoing the yes, the pandemic, the and the noise around talking about how the pandemic has played such a role in this great resignation movement is huge, but I think it would be, you know, we'd be remiss to just leave it at that and not really understand how this movement has been brewing for quite a long time. Um, And I think some of the things that we're starting to see bubble up now in discussions, either from executives who have kind of gone through this transition, they've left their, you know, seeing things from a different perspective, we're now really starting to think about um, time and how we need to manipulate time. And there's a lot of conversations that I'm particularly interested in around executive wellness, um, thinking about aging, not from a vanity standpoint, but from a longevity standpoint and, and, you know, lifespan. And, and as we are running at this pace, it doesn't mean that we're, or perhaps we're getting to our, end all goals faster, but what is it costing us in terms of our lifespan, our longevity, and our health? Right. I don't think that these misgivings or burnout or symptoms of burnout or, you know, um, life disillusionment or whatever, I don't think there's anything new to that. I think that what's, what's different is that on a massive global macro level, the pandemic um, and, and, you know, kind of the, the incredible reordering and, and restructuring um, that happened around work um, as a result of it, that really gave people, it was like, it was like taking all the balls on a macro level and throwing them all up in the air all at mm-hmm. once. And so it, it gave people an opportunity to actually understand and visualize that they had alternatives. And I think that's the difference is it's it, before it was like, well, keep on keeping on, you know, and I don't know what else. I don't know what my other options are. You know, I've got to, I've got to put food on the table. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Um, and so there wasn't this sense that there was an, any other option. Um, and I, I think that what we're seeing infused into the modern workplace in some examples um, is a level of creativity and innovation and, um, you know, enterprising, right? I mean, isn't that what Silicon Valley was supposed to be all about anyway? I mean, wasn't five, seven years ago, like the hottest word disruption, Mm -hmm. disrupt, 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 disrupt. And I feel like um, people kind of forgot about that. And, and at least when it came to how work and life can exist and, and what opportunities are there for 
dreaming a different dream and envisioning something different. And, and that the very essence that's supposed to have catalyzed, you know, Silicon Valley, this, this notion of being um, irreverent and different and, in, in reinventing and disrupting, I feel like it kind of fell to the wayside and we were all just sort of like in this malaise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, I feel like it just kind of, again, it was like, it was the catalyst that everybody needed to just say, okay, well, what else is out there? Cause this is not it. And now I'm actually realizing that maybe there's other ways of reinventing that aren't necessarily, I know, I know we're talking about actually executives ultimately exiting the workforce. So but there also is other opportunities too, right? Of just reinventing within within the workforce, um, and I, I know we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get as we get through our conversation. But it's not always a hard exit either. Mm-hmm. It could just be, well, let's reinterpret how we want to do things um, and mm-hmm. what other options are available. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that you talk about creativity, right? Because yeah, coming back to the Silicon Valley disruptor roots, right? As the saying goes, necessity breeds innovation. And the pandemic, you know, really was this collective awareness of our mortality in many ways. And, and you know, being in lockdown, it, it really did breed um innovation from this place of true dire necessity to do things differently. hundred percent. So who do you believe are the most vulnerable to being caught up in this great resignation movement, particularly at the executive level, which is what we're, we're trying to really focus in on today is, you know, which executives are most vulnerable to this and have you you know, in working so closely with executives, have you seen any specific patterns, um, whether it's industries or locations or just kind of life patterns that have emerged? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, there, you know, I personally, and this may just be my particular lens, I'm not sure that I've seen any kind of patterns around, you know, industry or, um, or, or, location or, or other demographics, um, partly because I think, you know, my short answer is everybody's vulnerable to the great resignation right now. Um, but from, from a leadership perspective, you know, definitely um, executives at kind of the functional leadership level. So maybe perhaps not the CEO who has you know, a ton of ownership stake or is, you know, very invested in the the role and responsibility that that they have taken on as a CEO. But as you think about kind of the rest of the C-suite and certainly in startups, you know, this head of role that we see often, you know, head of operations, head of product, um, head of people, right? I think all of those functional leaders are, are very much vulnerable and, and the ones that I'm, I'm hearing having these questions about, about what the point is and, and what could be different. Um, but I also think it's really important to, to kind of come back to the executives who are thinking about leaving are not necessarily thinking about exiting the workforce forever. They're not talking about it in terms of retirement. They're truly talking about it in terms of a six to 12 month leave. 
to get a little bit of that time back that they feel like they may have lost in with their family or in their lifestyle habits. So kind of coming back to this question about, well, who's vulnerable, they're usually the executives who perhaps they feel like they have another big one in them in terms of earning potential position opportunity, but they're burnt out. They don't have such a massive ownership stake in the company where they can take this time and, 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 you know, we must mention also have the means and the luxury to take the time off and, and not rely on on kind of that steady income. They're the ones who I think are um, most vulnerable to really join this great resignation movement. Yeah. And it's fascinating, you know, as, as I was preparing for our conversation, um, I was, you know, I was, I was looking into a couple of, of recent press pieces. And I mean, everyone from Jeff Bezos, who's decided to step down to um, more recently within the last week, um, uh, Doug Leone, who has famously chaired and led um, Sequoia Capital for, uh, I want to say decades, Mm -hmm. um, has decided to step down from his role. And, you know, whether whether those were events that were precipitated by um, the pandemic, who knows, right? I mean, that wasn't intel that was that was shared. Mm -hmm. But it, it really is pretty fascinating that you have these incredibly um, formidable leaders of of the economy and of, you know, modern business, um, basically all seemingly in a very kind of condensed amount of time um, making these decisions. And, and, you know, yeah, I mean, maybe it is. It's, it's you know, there is, like you said, um, there's a level of, of, privilege in that they can obviously afford to do these types of things, but also it's like, why, why, why here? Why now? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Why this moment? And, and the fact that we're seeing such a um, kind of domino effect of leadership. Mm -hmm. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. I was reading an article the other day actually, um, and, and was kind of poking around what, what everybody's saying about burnout. And I was very surprised to learn that, the word burnout and and kind of the clinical condition of burnout being not just exhaustion but a a work related um, and, and work kind of imposed clinical condition is now recognized by the World Health Organization, which I thought was really interesting. It's not just kind of something that we we use to describe you know, a a culture or pace or or a state of exhaustion. And, you know, pairing that with a a statistic that I I read from a survey that was done last year in 2021 that reported 75% of executives surveyed reported job-related mental and physical health issues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as we think about, you know, burnout, it's really going, if we think about burnout and and we think about not acknowledging burnout, it really does kind of morph into some greater physical mental health issues that are affecting executives who, you know, to the, to the point you made earlier, are employees and humans too. So whether you are Jeff Bezos or a startup CEO or, or head of people who've 
been running at this insane pace, you know, your, our bodies are going to be the first thing to really tell us that something isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really insightful and, um, just straight up true, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like really just tap, tapping into that and really, um, that kind of discovery of, is this working for me? Like really tuning in to yourself and your needs and really questioning, you know, is this, is this the end all be all for me? Let's talk about those executives who decide to exit, um, and resign, whether permanently or temporarily. Um, how does this affect their EA? And, and I think specifically what I mean by that is how should an EA respond to this change and what can they do to secure their role if they if they see that the exit of their executive is inevitable? You know, first and foremost, it is important to ask yourself as an EA, you know, what are my opportunities here? Do I have the opportunity to perhaps, you know, join my executive who, if they're not leaving the workforce to take a break, as we've been talking about, but actually leave to go to another organization that maybe is going to better support the values and lifestyle choices they're trying to balance in in their executive positions. Think about if if that's something that you also want to pursue, and there's a way to have that conversation with your executive. If if your executive is leaving the workforce either indefinitely or for you know a significant amount of time, it's really important through that transition period and through those those discussions in helping offboard your executive because of course you know you as their EA and right hand are are probably going to play a really instrumental role in that offboarding have the conversations with them about really asking for their help to advocate for you in the organization that you're in. I think that um, there's a lot of room to then start exploring, do you want to take on and learn a different function or a different department? Do you want to take on and learn new skills or new projects? This movement with your executive can really serve as an opportunity for you to also kind of take stock of your career and what you want in your work and your your life um, and really, really ask for that help and support from your executive um, to help broker those conversations before they leave. And then lastly, you know, in kind of that same line of thinking, as you take stock of your life and your work, is this company, an organization that you've been working in supporting your executive, what you want, right? I would I would go so far as to say that if your executive is tapping out and needing to take a break, then as their EA, who is either working just as hard, if not more, as your executive, I would make the assumption that you're as burnt out as they are. So while you may not have the means or the privilege to, you know, take a a 12-month sabbatical, if you will, this is the time to really evaluate what matters most. 
to you and your work, your values, your lifestyle. And, and it's the opportunity to really think about as things are, are shaken up in the cadence that you've created with your executive in your organization, do you want something different? And I think that's the really important question to ask. 100%. I mean, that's, that's part of the reckoning, you know, on, on every level and at every, at every stage of the, the corporate ladder. So let's say that your executive is having this life reckoning and maybe they're kind of on the, on the verge, right? Maybe they're, they're sort of vacillating between, am I taking the plunge and I'm exiting or I, am I just needing to re establish and reassert what my values are and how I want to exist. Right. And, and let's say you have the kind of relationship, hopefully you do with your executive where you have that kind of open dialogue and, and, and you know each other on that level and and you have that kind of lens, right? Mm-hmm. What in your view is the role that an EA can play during that kind of wishy-washy, not sure which way I'm going to go time? Mm-hmm. And is there something that our listeners as executive assistants can can do to really support their executives who are in this kind of crisis moment or, or moment of reevaluation? Mm-hmm. It's it's a great question. And and I'm I'll go All start. my questions are great uh, questions. They really are. I can't, every time I prepare for one of these podcasts, I'm never quite sure which question is my favorite. Um, and, and we always just have such a good conversation because it's, you know, I'm, and, and this one particularly, I think this is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners today. Um, you know, partly because EAs just have this spidey sense of what's going on. So before any kind of a real deci- decision is made on the executive's part, I guarantee that many of our listeners right now are realizing that, you know, maybe they've been um, noticing some changes in their executive or, or really wondering without any kind of real, you know, hard facts and data, if their executive is getting ready to leave or, or questioning whether they still have it in them. So, so this one I think is, is, a great question. What do you do when your executive's in flux and when you're so, you know, tied to the partnership that that you've built with them? Um, I think first and foremost, validate your executive's feelings, right? Like I think it's really reasonable that we're all in the world, your executive included, we're really kind of wondering if we're, you know, still in it, invested, have the energy or you know want to want to tap out and take a, a quick water break right like i think it's it's important that you as an ea may be the only person in their life especially work that might be giving them the space and really validating and normalizing that that it's kind of okay to have these thoughts right i think that's step 1 Step two is, um, you know, then really having a discussion with your executive about how do you, as their EA, really help support them in being fully resourced. And when I when I say fully resourced, I mean what are the you know 
non-work and, and maybe some work-related pieces that are really important for your executive to protect, prioritize, and maintain so that they can function at their best, so that they can show up to work every day in their role with you know rest and good food and enough time in their calendar, and they're not kind of getting caught up in that that pace that we talked about before or feeling feeling overwhelmed. So having the conversation and really taking inventory with them about what's important is a really great place to start. And maybe it's the first time you're having this conversation with your executive, or maybe it's the first time your executive's even thinking about what's important to them out mm-hmm. of work. That that's, that's a, a great way that you can support them and And to our earlier point, you know, try to get creative to change things up so it is sustainable and not just burning both of you out. I love that. I love that recommendation. And I, do you have any suggestions for how to start that conversation? I mean, is it as simple as saying, hey, executive, you know, what do you need to feel good? What, what do we need to prioritize? I mean, how, how do you encourage people to actually um, shift the conversation in that direction. Mm-hmm. It it really starts with probably one of my favorite ways to start a sentence, which is, "I notice that." Right, you are the eyes and ears of not only your executive's office but the organization, and you are observing all day. So, what are you noticing? And what are you noticing about your executive? And sometimes you may, you may be noticing things that your executive isn't noticing. So really prompting the conversation with, hey, I notice that we are running 10 minutes late to every single meeting. I noticed that you didn't, you didn't eat lunch two days in a row. I noticed that you didn't drink water. I noticed that you worked an 18-hour day. I noticed that you missed your kid's performance. You, you, can, you can start the conversation with what you're noticing and then asking the question, what do you need and how can I help? Yeah. I noticed you haven't had a proper vacation in 15 months, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's just it could, it could go on and on and on. Um, but I, I love, I love that because it's coming from such a, <clears throat> I think it's coming from a, just a really caring place, number one, but it's also, I mean, at the end of the day, this is job preservation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if, 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 if you want this person to continue to do well and you want to continue to be able to support them and do well with them, then, you know, we've got to like get creative and we've got to roll up our sleeves and we've got to really think about how to, which is what so many EAs do so well, buffer, protect, um, deflect problems from, right? Shelter, all of that kind of stuff. How do we do that? And, you know, I think this is kind of the age old struggle too, that we've talked about at at, at length on, on this podcast is that tension between personal and business, personal and business, personal and business. I feel like this dialogue is inviting that that kind of tension a little bit into the conversation because a lot of the things that you mention, which I think are spot on, you know, do kind of veer into the personal realm. 
does that mean that we need to, as EAs, be thinking about, you know, taking on more of that? Um, if it means really identifying and validating the the very real symptoms of burnout and struggle that your executive may be dealing with. Um, I mean, what's your opinion of that? Because I, I do think if you're having conversations around, you know, you missed your kid's soccer game. I know how important that is to you. I know you haven't had a proper workout for three weeks. I know how important that is to you. You haven't had a vacation. I know how important that is to you. These are definitely personal agenda items, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what what is your thought on <clears throat> maybe some of the EAs who've been resistant to want to take that on or relate to their executive in that way? Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, it brings me way back to my Salesforce days. And, you know, this this tension, and, and there's kind of two different kinds of tension. One, the tension between like the work and, and personal peace, um, which, you know, just quick, quick caveat, I'm a huge fan of really thinking about them as integrated. Um, but also this tension between as an EA, you know, sure, you can command an agenda, but how forceful is it appropriate to get with your executive around some of the personal stuff? Um, so there, there are kind of two two types of tension as I see it, but it really brings me back to um, one of the the priorities that that I did my very best to protect when I was an executive assistant at at Salesforce, and kind of going back to what I noticed about my executive, I noticed that the days and the weeks that she was working out consistently and getting that exercise in with her personal trainer, she was far more effective in the rest of her meetings that day and that week. And she had the energy level and the patience and the understanding to navigate the business problems. Mm. So if you think that personal and professional are separate, I'm just going to challenge you on that because they're so intertwined. So, you know, part of, you know, as we bring it back to, you know, as as an EA, how do you support your executive? Part of this is battling it out with your executive themselves who may say, and this was true for me, there were so many opportunities where that workout that I knew was just going to have such incredible business impact that week mm. would be threatened by some other customer conflict. And I would have to really do my best with all of my emotional intelligence and support and and finesse as possible to say, I know you think this meeting is really, really important and warrants bumping your workout. And I really am going to challenge you on that. And if we need to move it, then we still need to prioritize it today so that you are going back to that, that word fully resourced. Yeah. And let's, let's stop with, I think, glamorizing and glorifying, um, what it means to just run on empty. Mm. I think that there is such a cultural paradigm and construct and idealization 
of burnout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's like, not cute. Um, it's not. Oh, hell no. <laughs> it's, it is not a good look. Um, and I'll just, you said not in the sense of vanity. I'm just going to go ahead and call it out. And it's not good for vanity either <laughs> <laughs> because that will age you. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to look any older than I need to, any sooner than I need to. But um, yeah, there's the health and the vanity mm-hmm. and, and, and all of it. And it's enough is enough. Like, I, I think it's also this idea of like, so the flip side of that is like the guilting that we do, whether it's self-guilting or just guilting by our employer or our employees or, or our colleagues or the people that you know we lead or whatever around um, taking time. And, and I think like in the, in the example that you gave, Julia, of the executive that's like, you know, wants to cancel their workout, even though you know it's the best thing for them, like who knows what's playing into that? Maybe it's a guilting thing. It's like, oh, well, you know, everybody else has to do this. And I, I really need to prioritize this time. And it's like, in what, in what value system is it okay to consistently, you know, sacrifice your needs um, because something else is deemed more important? Like, I think we really need to question those things and question those decisions. And yeah, for sure. Inevitably, there are things that come up that are going to prevent you from getting the consistent workout that you, that you need. And there are going to be some times where you just didn't have time for a proper lunch and you ate some crap, right? But mm-hmm. um, by and large, like I think you have to look at at your choices and 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 really like you know evaluate like is this is this how I want to be living and why am I living like this? Is it because I am you know a slave to the almighty whatever burnout grail that's like yes like mm-hmm. uh, that's living on. And people that love to brag about how much caffeine they consume in a day. I think one of the most insightful things a friend of mine said recently, um, who's been struggling with her own kind of like, hey, I don't know, like I, my my health and wellness is is being impacted by the kind of the culmination of life ch- decisions I've made. And she's really taking a very proactive and I think very admirable stance on her health and well-being and how she's showing up for her family while, by the way, still juggling a very demanding career. But she said to me, I thought this was so, it's just so interesting and it's so simple. But she said, yeah, she goes, instead of just like pounding another coffee or whatever, she goes, I just tune into my body. And and if my body is telling me that I'm exhausted, she goes, you know, if, if I'm in a position where I can just go and shut my eyes and go into a room for 15 minutes or lay down or sit in my car and just like rest myself for a second. She's like, I'm really trying to not mask those problems anymore, but actually acknowledge, validate, to use your words, um, and do something about it other than just the masking and being kind of that the slave to the almighty burnout. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She's tending to what her body is telling her she needs in that moment Mm -hmm. instead of overpowering with the ideas of what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Yeah. I've become a huge fan of, of naps. I'm not going to lie. A good like 20 minute nap <laughs> in the middle of the day changes yeah. the game. It does. It can be incredibly replenishing. And again, it's like, 
Why are we, why do we have to guilt ourselves about that? That was the hardest thing for me about graduating from college. I was like, oh Lord, how am I going to get my naps in? Like, I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know if I can have a real person job where I have to be at an office all day because I like to take a nap. Uh, uh, I hope you've created a little like nap, a nap room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on that. So I think this is a nice segue to talking and thinking about, you know, future of work, right? Is it is it hybrid models? Is it employee satisfaction culture? Like it's it's such a it's such a broad and robust topic, and I know it's something that, as you mentioned earlier in our conversation, that you really are yourself putting a lot of thought into this idea of executive wellness. And I, I think too, like uh, you know, I, I heard um I heard a podcast um prior to, to this podcast um, that was uh, hosted by none other than the legendary Brene Brown. Mm, um, her, her podcast is called, yeah, that's, that's what consistently everybody says. Ooh, love her. Side <laughs> um, note, she does yeah. have a special coming out, I think on oh. HBO around her new book. I think it's called Atlas of the Heart. I'm so mm. excited to watch it. What a beautiful title, mm-hmm. Atlas of the Heart. That's so poetic. I love that. Um, but her podcast is, is called Unlocking Us. And she um, did a uh, recording with uh, an organizational psychologist. And a lot of what they were talking about was, you know, also like, don't get it twisted. Just because you're working in a hybrid model or, or a remote model does not mean that it's any less difficult, right? Um, that there's a lot of, of exhaustion that is happening. Um, they, they talked about the challenges of creating and establishing trust, maintaining trust, and kind of the erosion of trust mm-hmm. that happens when you're trying to manage uh, a fully remote team that really doesn't have the, the in-person face-to-face opportunity to build chemistry and rapport and trust, right? I mean, there's they just kept saying, you know, no matter how great the technology is, there's really no, there's really no substitute for that kind of chemistry and and to not necessarily, you know, immediately take things personally and, and to be able to put things in context and to and to and to um, give people the benefit of the doubt, right? I mean, I think that there's so much that is so hard to do when those interactions are limited. And and I think we would be deluding ourselves to think that that wasn't draining in its own way, challenging in its own way, exhausting in its own way. So, I mean, there's trade-offs happening at, at, at every level. And, you know, could this also be precipitating or driving some of the, the you know, resignations and exhaustion that's happening? I think absolutely. So I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, thinking about wellness, thinking about the future of work, thinking about hybrid models. I mean, how do we, how do we adjust for things? Because on the other hand, I think that it's, it's also really challenging to find people that want to be in an office um, and want to be in an office five days a week. And I mean, we see that we encounter that in, in, in our work um, as, as recruiters, that's a super big challenge. And then the flip side is that there's also this exhaustion sentiment and all of these rapport challenges and collaboration challenges that are happening in the absence of in-person, oh, and boundary setting challenges. Mm-hmm. So it's like, ah, what's the, what's the right solution? I mean, there's just, there's so many, um, I feel like there's trade-offs 
no matter how you slice it. Um, and so it's just kind of like, well, where is there a medium? Is there a happy ground? I'd love to hear your thoughts as somebody who is so dialed into this and who is just so insightful and, and so tuned into wellness in general. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think, you know, and, and I'm not going to pretend to know the answer on, you know, hybrid versus remote. I think it really all depends because there's no such thing as a silver bullet. So I think, you know, as you kind of phrased it, where's that happy middle ground? Um, I think that's first and foremost, the lens in which we need to look. And when we talk about wellness, you know, I don't, I don't actually think about wellness just in terms of, um, you know, food, exercise, and sleep, let's call it. It's really, you know, spiritual wellness, financial wellness, career wellness, relationship wellness, your social life. It's, it's you know, staying well and, and focusing on wellness as a human is so multifaceted that it's, it's not just in the lens of kind of health. And I say that because as we make kind of wellness a priority and as we think about all these things that contribute to wellness in in the workplace especially it's really important to in my opinion really think about the future of work as one size does not fit all so and and kind of the angle that i'm going at it with executives is the more the more we help executives focus on wellness, connect with themselves, listen to their bodies, like what you were talking about with your friend, the more they can tune into themselves and tend to the needs that they have as individuals and realize how much customization they need to do to fit their own needs. I think that actually is going to breed a lot of that kind of empathy that makes cultures really rich and and trusting and vulnerable and and makes everybody feel connected and then that executive really finally has firsthand experience understanding what their team may need and it might it, and and perhaps they'll be able to listen to their team in a new way instead of just adopting kind of the most popular creative solution, whether, you know, it's a, it's a hybrid working model or nap rooms or, you know, whatever, whatever the buzz is that works for somebody else, mm -hmm. just as you need as an executive, just as you need to think about what works for you to keep yourself afloat in your work and professional responsibilities integrated with your life, that lens is really going to aid and create this hopefully really impactful ripple effect on the rest of the organization. And from there, the right structures, the right policies, the right systemic changes will stem from truly that place of understanding and empathy. And I think what I hear you saying is it starts, and I would agree with really, um, tuning in to 
yourself as the leader of your organization. What do you need? What do you desire? Um, Because if you're not taking care of yourself, taking care of, um, you know, preserving your, your bandwidth, your mental energy, your, your vision, your enthusiasm even Mm. for continuing to do the work that you do. I mean, I think enthusiasm is the first thing to go. Like Mm. when you're, when you're just drained and, and, and over it and burnt out, you know, how do you inspire? People want to be inspired. They want to be enthused. They want to be um, led, right? And and those are really hard things to do when you're um, depleted. So I think, like you said, I mean, really, really fine tuning that for yourself. And I think that's really um, what all of us are being called upon to do is is to really think about that. And and you know, if you need a reset, you know, taking the reset, right? Um, and then from there, how does that how does that kind of trickle down? to how you want to lead your team, how you want to lead your organization, whatever the case may be, whoever you're responsible for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important kind of on that note to talk also about corporate wellness programs, right? We've really seen such a acceleration of companies adopting all kinds of different corporate wellness programming. And I'm so excited to see so many companies offer access to resources and solutions, whether that's, you know, therapy or coaching or, um, you know, fertility uh, support and and a lot of things that, um, you know, gym stipends. I, I actually was talking to one team the other day where they, since the pandemic, they give their team a weekly grocery allowance, right? There's a lot that companies are doing, but I think that it can't be divorced from the values and the lived values of the leaders at the top, right? A corporate wellness program isn't just there to satisfy the employee base while your leaders are behaving in a completely different way or or taking care of themselves and modeling something different than what they're preaching to the rest of the organization. So yes, kind of starting with yourself as an executive, starting with, with what you need going inward and really understanding what your own values are and how to listen to your team and how to live those values throughout the organization. Then pairing that with resources and, and support is, is a great way to approach, you know, what's going to work for your organization going forward. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I think I might hear the the murmurings of our next collaboration, Julia. Oh, another one. Already. <laughs> another one. Yeah, because I mean, I'm I'm thinking like, you know, for instance, like one of the things that that I'm trying to um, achieve with regard to Maven and how we're reinventing and pivoting and and also solving for like you said, there's no silver bullet, right? But like, what are the things that we need to solve for? And I think that I, I continue to believe that the things that we need to solve for are uh, effective ways of collaboration, effective ways of building confidence and trust and positive regard for our colleagues. Um, I think when you have positive regard and you, and you, 
genuinely like people, you see the good in them, you you err on the side of benefit of the doubt when situations happen. I think it it just allows for more patience within the team. Mm. I think it allows for more understanding. I think it allows for more willingness to aid and support and step in and um, and be like a true colleague. I think it's hard to to feel those instincts and inclinations toward one another if you don't really know each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I think that all you know, we've hired a lot of people in in COVID that I. Um, have yet to meet in person or have met seldom. Right. And so I think for me, it's like, well, how do we solve for that? And I'm not willing to say that those things don't matter because I think they matter a ton. And I think that the reason why our team has stayed as intact as it has through just a, a heinous, you know, really challenging time is because we had that, like that we, we really had, that positive regard and we had that that kind of synchronicity going into this um Mm -hmm. so like for me you know i'm 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 that's something i'm constantly pondering and i think that we've i think we've we've hit upon um a really good note and a really good direction which is that we're going to be um getting together you know so our solution is that we're not not seeing each other. We are still seeing each other. We're just seeing each other um, more on like a quarterly basis. Mm-hmm. And we're doing these really kind of um, focused, you know, multi-day intensives where we work together, but they're a balance of just getting things done, working, training, working, you know, tr- working through training areas, and then just spending time, you know. Um, having so a little fun. Having fun, <laughs> yes. And, and my... What I felt a compulsion to during this whole time was like, let me out of here. Like, I want to be in nature. I want to be in beauty. I want to be where there's big skies and fresh air. And and I think it's a culmination of that kind of captive sense that we all went through, but also like being in California mm-hmm. and the wildfires and just that craziness. Like, I was just, I felt really compelled to seek out a place to just feel more grounded, like to where I could really like, you know, connect and, and tune out some of the noise and congestion that, that, that comes with life. So, you know, we've settled on um, a space in Tucson that we'll be spending extended amounts of time in, um, you know, that's something that, that we've come up with. And I, I think it, 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 it potentially works really well for our company, who we are, our size, all that kind of stuff. But I think like, you know, really thinking about that, that executive wellness and the employee wellness and that collective wellness is it's a it's this is this time is an incredible invitation to really um, do some some new and different and exciting things that hopefully will will really have reverberations um, and positive effect in all of this stuff, you know, and in, in stemming the burnout in in solving for some of the things that quite frankly, I'm not a shareholder in zoom, but whatever, like that (laughs) zoom hasn't been able to solve. Um, It solved a lot. Don't get me wrong, but it has not solved all. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to evaluate where the gaps are and how are we going to address those? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what's so beautiful about the the changes that you've made at, at Maven is as Maven CEO, you've made 
the really hard strategic decisions to make that happen. And really, you know, thinking about what you really want for you in your life and your company and what you want for the team, you definitely made some choices to make sure that that space existed. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm jealous that I wasn't invited to next week's little offsite, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, I think it's just such a a beautiful signal to your team how seriously you're taking this piece of connection and fun and, and collaboration so that you all stay happy and well and fueled to run such an incredible company. Well, thank you. And um, your invitation is coming. Uh, I can't <laughs> wait. This is our first time doing this. So that's that's why when I said, I don't know, I feel the murmurings of something. I mean, who knows, right? Maybe time this is to like, get talking. Maybe this is an executive wellness retreat center oh, going that forward would be such where a we fun bring idea. your clients and, you know, our listeners can nominate their executives to go and Get some, get their head right, you know, uh, and just feel listeners. So you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I love great. it. I love it. So, um, famous question, famous last question. You know what? I'm gonna twi- I'm gonna flip it on you, and you don't have to go with it. But what about if you had the opportunity to support anyone in the world, or since you've now pivoted, um, if you had the opportunity to coach anyone in the world? Mm. who would you choose and why? And you can choose to answer whichever version of the question you, you prefer. Yeah, I think I think my answer would be the same for both, um, oh. actually, as I think about it. It's, well, and I know last time I got this question, I think I answered the Obamas, so I, so I won't go back to, to that tried and true. But as I think about, you know, really this lens in which I'm looking through right now, I'm really geeking out on um, this author. His name is Jamie Wheel, and I'm, you know, at the very tail end of of his most recent book called Recapture the Rapture. And he's also the founder of something called the Flow Genome Project, where he's really mm. diving in to understand peak performance and flow states and how we get there through kind of leveraging the the natural kind of chemicals and pathways and and resources that our body has around, you know, breath work and meditation and even, you know, our relationship to music and how that impacts our brain frequency. So as I'm thinking about wellness and I'm thinking about, you know, how do we stay kind of centered in this flowy state? He's somebody who's worked a lot with Silicon Valley leaders, with, um, with Navy SEALs, and from, you know, both a, a support standpoint and a coaching standpoint, oh man, I think he would just be a dream. Yeah, I love that. He's and what about uh, for our listeners who would like to connect with you directly or who are potentially interested in coaching, whether for themselves as EAs or for their executives, how can they go about connecting with you? Oh, yeah. Well, I always love when our listeners find me on LinkedIn. So just Julia Quijano, you'll find me. Um, you could also learn a little bit about me and my approach to coaching. If you're you know, thinking about wanting a little bit of support for your executives or leaders in your organization, that's uh, juliaquijano.com. Um, And then, you know, just because it's our partnership, I have been having so much fun 
working with um, EAs and emerging chiefs of staff in the Maven community. So if you head to Maven's website also, you could learn a little bit more about what we're doing on the course, the group coaching, the one-on-one. It's been it's been such a blast. Fun and I know Kihano is such a super common name, but oh, yes. could you just go ahead and spell it for, for everybody? <laughs> yes. Uh, it's Q-U-I-J-A-N-O. You have no idea how many derivatives I get of that. <laughs> you know, maybe you'll marry a Smith one day. I don't know. But for now, I think we should spell it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, as always, I love having you on our program. You're such a wonderful guest. You're always just a, a wealth of information and always so well prepared and thoughtful in in your responses and um, and in your recommendations. So thank you again. I just love our time together. Oh, I love it. it. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast and just part of the Maven community. It's been it's been such a highlight of my my career. So thank you Julia. as always. Thank you. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.